That is, uh, honestly, that's what we believe about Wapaknaz, is that uh, this is a place where loved people can be, uh, are, are loving people to Jesus, and, and uh, Jesus Christ calls for all of us to extend his heart to those that are around us in our community, in our families. And uh, you just never know um, the brokenness that somebody has in their own life. But Jesus Christ, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, by his blood, can restore, redeem, and deliver. Break addiction, heal marriages. He can do some miraculous things. And we firmly believe that. That is why we exist as a church. We're not here for ourselves. We're never here for ourselves, ever. And we're glad to be with you today. Um, I would like to say a word of prayer before we even move forward, because uh, man alive, I need to pray. So uh, would you mind uh, bowing your hearts and your, your heads and uh, pray along with me, would you please? Heavenly Father, God Almighty, you who are ultimately good, holy good, you who are holy, you who are the standard, we come to you in the name of Jesus Christ by his blood. Lord God, I ask that you speak through your word and by your spirit. And may we, Lord Father, be responsive to that. You have our attention. You definitely have our attention today. I ask that your Holy Spirit empower me to speak the truth. Stand firm in that. We ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, we have been on a series uh, called Nehemiah. Uh, it's in the Old Testament, and so we are going to be parking ourselves in chapters 2, 3, and 4 today, um, and uh, primarily in chapters 2, verse 11 through 18. So if you would, uh, please go ahead and open the scriptures, pull out your iPads, your iPhones, uh, open up that app, and go to, go to Nehemiah chapter 2. We'll get to that scripture uh, very, very shortly. A couple weeks ago, um, I had mentioned that uh, John Piper said the Christian life is a call to risk. And Nehemiah himself took that call personally and saw the desperate time that he and his people were in and sought to be the game changer in that desperate time to alleviate the desperate time. He stepped in and took the risk to take on the redemptive work that God was already doing. He stepped in for his people. On behalf of God, he took the risk. Folks, when we take the risk for the cause of God's redemptive work, we do what we know how to do with what we have. And we will witness God's miraculous work. We will witness it in us, 
through us and around us. And Nehemiah himself saw that happening. After months, literal months, at least three, if not five months, Nehemiah prayed, processed, planned, prostrated himself out before the Lord. Matthew talked about posture. There's something about putting yourself in a surrendering position before God. Folks, the amount of work that God will do in us is directly proportionate to our surrender to Him. Some of us wonder, why isn't God doing the works in my life? Question is, how much of yourself have you surrendered? And so, for a period of three to five months, he processed, he prayed, he planned, he fasted. And in that moment, as he was doing the routine, as he was at work as the cupbearer to the king, the moment happened. And we left Nehemiah receiving the favor, God's favor, through the pagan king, King Artaxerxes of Persia granting him leave, granting him written documents that he could transport himself safely from Susa in Persia all the way to Jerusalem. He granted him materials, timber, whatever he needed. And so we left Nehemiah there. And so, if you would, please open up like I said, to chapter 2, verse 11. Excuse me, we're going to read from verse 11 uh, through verse 19. This is his own words. I went to Jerusalem. After staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few men. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. Sometimes it's pretty, it's necessary to keep what God's doing in your life close to your chest for a while. That's just wise. There will come a time that you bring that out before people. And so I had not told anyone my God had put, what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. By night, I went through the valley gate toward the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved toward the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through, so I went up the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing because I had yet because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or to the priests or nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. Then I said to them, "You see the trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God, 
of my God upon me and what the king had said to me. They replied, let us start rebuilding so that began this good work. Father, we've read your word. Will you speak? Will you continue to speak? And speak clearly through me. Even though I may fumble and bumble, I just pray you're very, very clear. It's in your name we pray today. Amen. Folks, as we see Nehemiah in this moment, he's arrived to Jerusalem. And now, you would think, I would think, that Nehemiah would immediately put his shoulder to work. But we've got to notice what he doesn't do. He doesn't do that. He doesn't put himself directly into the job, into the work. I would think since it's imminent, and it's been like this for a long time, it's necessary to start to move boulders, to put rocks in place, to put mortar in place, and start to build the wall. He doesn't do it. Notice what he does do. I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there three days, folks, he goes to Jerusalem and hangs out. He hangs out. He saturates himself in the circumstance, in the place, and in the people. How do we know this? Well, it says, I set out during the night with a few men. Nehemiah got connected with people. Remember, he's grown up and been working in Persia his whole life. This is his homeland because it's his ancestral homeland. And now, he's home. And he meets with people. Folks, we cannot connect people to vision if we don't connect with people. Let me say that again. We cannot connect people to vision if we don't connect with people. We think we're doing our duty by coming in on a Sunday morning, and that's how people are going to receive Jesus Christ. Folks, it doesn't happen that way. Long gone are the days of, hey, bring him to the preacher. Long gone are the days of, come to Sunday morning service. God's got a vision in place. And His vision is for redemption. Redemption of hearts and homes and households and communities and the world. And it takes us to bring about that vision in the mission. And we cannot connect people to that vision until we connect with people. It just doesn't happen. It won't happen. And Nehemiah sees this and understands this. The task is insurmountable. Think about it. The walls are crumbled. The gates are burned. It's going to take some time. It's going to take hard labor. Do you think Nehemiah is going to be the one that does it? I would think, man, Nehemiah just puts, puts his shoulder to work, kind of like, that ancient, like an ancient Tom Sawyer, whitewashing a fence, and looks like he's enjoying it, 
And then other people kind of look at them and notice, man, you must be having fun. What are you doing? Well, I'm building the wall. Well, can I help you? That doesn't happen. He needs people to help with the task. And in order for the vision to take place and the mission to happen, he's got to meet with people. Folks, we've got to meet with people. You know people, right? You can take a mental gauge and list of all the people you interact with on a daily basis. Those are the people that God wants to redeem. God wants to do a great work in their life. And so we learn the lesson from from Nehemiah that people won't catch the vision. They won't connect to the vision until we connect with people. Bottom line. And so... Nehemiah stays for three days. He doesn't even do any of the work yet. Then, as a leader ought to do, as someone that has a vision in their life, folks, in the beginning of the month, we provided these little journals. There's still about four or five left because what we wanted to do was have you journey with the Lord and document that to see what God's going to do and what He's doing in your life, what He's putting in you through the Scripture, through worship, through teaching, through Sunday morning service. God's got something that He's talking to you about. And it's going to take some work. And so, Nehemiah documents that. He writes that down. This is your turn to inspect the walls. What is God doing? What is He speaking? What's the vision in your life that God has for you? And so, He takes a midnight ride. Kind of like Paul Revere. He takes a midnight ride. And He goes counterclockwise around the city. Out of all these gates that we have no idea what they are. It's okay if you don't. I really didn't know everything about them. I still don't. But He takes a clockwise journey at night with a few men and he rides around because he's been in a far off land and you know how in your own mind's eye you think you know what the problem is and you think you know how to solve it because we have great imaginations right we think there's an issue there's a problem we got to jump on it Nehemiah has been churning that in his, on the insides for months. And now he's here. So what does he do? He actually sees it with his own eyes to see what really needs to be done. Take, for instance, um, the recent tragedy that was in our community. The building that went up in flames. Very quickly the city and surrounding people wanted to just jump out and help. People started gathering and gathering all kinds of stuff without really knowing exactly what was needed. We have these hearts that are so compassionate, but until we see and understand the real need, we don't know what to give. So, Nehemiah 
looks around and sees what the real need is. He takes a few people with him. Now, folks, I wonder, why did Nehemiah take a few people with him? This has been on his heart. This has been in his mind. This has been stewing for a long time. Why take a few people? Well, Nehemiah took a few people with him to inspect the walls, to see what really needs to be done, because he knew in order to connect people with the vision, he couldn't be the only voice with the vision. He needed other people alongside of him to speak out what's going on. There have been many times on Sunday mornings when we have uh, sermon in the sack, and I sit here with our kids, and sometimes I've asked them, hey, what is our mission statement? Or sometimes in the greeting, I ask that question, what's our mission statement? And I have kids that look up and I really don't know. Folks, we're love people loving people to Jesus. It's on the front of our bulletin, it's on our wall outside. It's not just a, a pithy quip. It means something. That is our mission statement. In order for people to connect to the vision, there's got to be more than one voice. It can't be just Matthew. It can't be just Ambrose. It can't be just the leadership. It's you. It's you. You are loved people. You have experienced God's grace. And you, together, will love people to Jesus. There can't be just one voice. There's got to be a collective of voices. Nehemiah knew this because he couldn't do the job himself. Folks, whenever we take the risk for God in faith to implement what God has given, to implement the vision through the mission, we can't do it alone. You can't do it alone. Think about it. Even from Genesis, God provided Eve as a partner. Noah had his three sons, their wives, and his own wife. Moses. Moses had her, had Aaron, and Joshua. David had Jonathan. Jesus, the Son of God, he had 12. And those 12, there were about 72 others that went out along with him, and they went two by two. Paul, the apostle. Paul had Barnabas. Paul had John Mark. Paul had Luke. Paul had Timothy. Paul had Priscilla and Aquila. Paul had a lot of people that were right with him. Not only doing the work, but sitting in jail alongside of him because of the work and because of the mission and the vision. Folks, when you take a risk for God, it's not you merely just taking the risk. You're going to have to have people along with you to take that risk. You're not the only voice. Folks, I'm not the only voice of Wapak Nass. Matthew is not the only voice of Wapak Nass. 
You're that voice wherever you are. Our mission is clear. We love folks to Jesus Christ. There's an end point and a beginning point and a continual point. Jesus Christ. That is who we are. That's what we're about. And we learned this from Nehemiah. You can't do it by yourself. We do it together, right? We're empowered by, empowered by the Holy Spirit to do the work of God, that redemptive work. And so he set out during the night with a few men. So, folks, when we, don't, when we do things and we're called by God, we're called to be faithful. But faithfulness, there's no question that faithfulness in God's perspective means that we need to be fruitful. We need to multiply what we have been given. You and I are to multiply. Because from God's perspective, they're both of the same coin. Faithfulness and fruitfulness. And from His perspective, we aren't faithful if we are not fruitful. That's so important to chew on. If we're not multiplying, if we're not being that voice, if we're not pulling someone else alongside, then are we being faithful? If we're giving our tithe, if we're coming and attending, if we have a devotion every now and then, we say our prayer, does that mean we're being faithful? According to God, Faithfulness means we multiply. We've got to be fruitful. You have got to be fruitful. Us as a congregation have to be fruitful. That's faithfulness. So Nehemiah says, this is a big job. I can't do it by myself. I'm not going to be able to build this wall by myself. I need to pull others in this so that they can be the voice but then he brings them around and after he inspects the walls notice what he says you see the trouble we're in Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire I can hear your inner monologue right now Ambrose, isn't this a bit obvious? Well, you're right. It is. It's been like this for 150 years. Right? And for about almost 100 years, people have been living in or around Jerusalem with the gates and the walls broken down. It is a bit obvious for you and I Hindsight's 2020, right? And it's a bit obvious for Nehemiah. But folks, it's not so obvious for everybody else. Sometimes many people 
see the world as it is and become desensitized to the problem. Case in point, New York Assembly cheering for the vote that was passed. Desensitized to the problem, ladies and gentlemen. You can walk past or drive through the same streets every day, day in and day out, and not see the needs that are around us. You kind of go in an autopilot. There are many who see the world as it is and believe that it is all that it is and proclaim kind of my motto, which I feel checked with, is it is what it is. There are many people that see the world as it is and believe it needs to be changed and they'll post that. Social media will blow it up. But they believe themselves to be powerless and insignificant to make any difference. So your inner monologue, I hear it. Isn't it obvious? To some it's not. But to a few, to a few, the people A few people will see the world as it is and see that we're here and believe here is not good enough anymore. And they will see the world as it is and see what it could be. There are a few that will see the world as it is, believe it's not good enough anymore, and see what could be. And they open the eyes of the desensitized. They empower the powerless. There are the few that will step out and take the risk and bring other people along. Folks, church, we're called to be the few. You and I are called to be the few. The few who see where we are, see here, and say here isn't good enough anymore. I want there, because I can see it, I can taste it, and it can become reality. And I'm going to take whoever along with me who can see it, and we're going to take the risk together. Nehemiah saw what is and said this isn't good enough anymore said, hey, can't you see Jerusalem lies in ruins? Its gates have been burned with fire. You drive the same street day in and day out and don't even notice it. Folks, you connect people to the vision by connecting with people. You connect people to the vision by having other people and their voices. You connect people to the vision by helping them recognize that here isn't good enough anymore. It's not. God saw us, you 
and me, mankind, desensitized to our sinful state. And he said, that's not good enough. And so he sent his son, Jesus Christ, that he may show us what it means to live in human flesh and be holy. He said, here is not good enough any longer. I'm going to provide you the means and the way out, and I'm going to even show you the reality. I'm going to walk among you and give you the reality. God sent His Son to get us there. That Jesus Christ may sacrifice Himself so that the powerless, that the desensitized, that those of us in our sinful state can become renewed and redeemed and saved and powered by the Holy Spirit in our life. We're called to be the few. We're called to be the Nehemiah in our world. You and me. And so, it's interesting. They said, he said, come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. When you connect people to the vision by saying here isn't good enough, they're willing to go on mission. They can see it. They can taste it. They want it. And these people wanted it. Folks, there are people out here in our, congr- in our world that are here. God wants them there. You insert yourself in there. You connect with people. By you living Jesus in their life, they can see that their life, what their life looks like without Jesus and what they want, what they need, And they said, let us start rebuilding. Let's do this. And so they began the work. Chapter 4, it says, so we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached its half half its height for for the people worked with all their heart. Now there was opposition here. We'll talk a little bit about that next week. Matthew talked a little bit about that last week. But they worked with all their heart. When you connect people, connect with people, you will connect them with the vision. When there's more than one voice, and the voices are saying, here isn't good enough anymore, there is better. There, it can become a reality. People will grab onto that vision and take on the mission. Where's your mission? Where's your mission? I know there's, I just met with a group of ladies a a couple weeks ago about the vision and the mission at Valley View Apartments. There is a vision to reach that whole apartment complex. And we've got a few people in our congregation that are on mission there. Folks, what's your mission? What's your vision?
What is it that God is honing in on you? So I want to wrap it up here in the next few minutes. You've noticed I went from chapter 2 to chapter 4. You're like, did chapter 3 fall out of your Bible? Well, actually, Genesis fell out of my Bible earlier today and uh, (laughs) fell on the floor. But no, chapter 3 did not fall out of my Bible. Chapter 3 is one of those chapters that, actually, if you would open up to that, that would be great. Chapter 3 is one of those chapters that when you're reading Scripture, this is not a daily devotional. But I can tell you what, if you actually read it for a daily devotional, you'd be very, very floored. What I've provided up there that you cannot read, (laughs) this is chapter 3. These are the lists of names in chapter 3. Names that I have no idea how to pronounce and I butcher every time. But what we need to understand here is that as soon as Nehemiah connected with people and there was more than one voice than his and as soon as people realized that here is not good enough and there can be a reality they said let's build this wall it was more than Nehemiah and a few men there are about 40 key names that Nehemiah lists in chapter 3 and there are groups of people men of Tekoa people from Gibeon in Mispa. Folks, this list contains rulers and leaders, temple servants, priests, the high priest, daughters, goldsmiths. It contains a list of just individuals that are zealously repairing the wall. At least 40 people's names that are provided and they hit 45 different places on the wall. Now you do the math, that means there's a couple people or a few people that are doing almost twice the work. That's correct. Folk, folks, when people catch the mission, and they catch the vision, they go on mission, do they not? And we have evidence of that. Some of these, this is pretty much the last place that most of these people are named we don't know who a lot of these people are the majority of them there are people from within jerusalem people outside of jerusalem miles away because they captured the vision and so they went on mission we love people loving people to jesus it's very simple the method may change but the mission's always the same. The message is always the same as well. Folks, I look at this list and I'm floored because it means that anyone and everyone can put their shoulder to work. Anyone and everyone can do this. Anyone and everyone are called. We're called to be the few. 
We're called to be the few. And here's a list of the few. Is it discouraging? Absolutely. We read that in chapter 4. We'll talk about that next week. Sometimes, sometimes, we miss the reason for the mission. The reason for the mission is people. We get so tied up in tasks. You ever get tied up in your task? And you forget about the why of your task? The why of the task is people. The why of the task is people. Sometimes we put tasks as priority over people. Learning business, you, you never put profit over people. I always put people over profit. Folks, it's because people matter. People matter to God, and they should matter to us. So I don't know where you are. I don't know what God has been talking to you about. I don't know what you've been documenting, but I can tell you this. You can put your shoulder to the job, to the task, to the mission. Have you captured it? If you've been saved by grace, guess what? You've caught it. You're called to go on mission. Would you please stand? Just bow your heads for just a moment. I know this sounded a little bit like leadership, like a lesson in leadership. It could be. But it really is a lesson in ministry. It's a lesson in teaching. It's a lesson in social work. It's a lesson in parenting. Regardless of the job that you have, it's a lesson there. We've got to connect with people. God has put something in you, something greater than you are, to go out and do. And it's about those people that you connect with. Jesus, we come to you today. I know you've been speaking into a lot of hearts. Those that are standing here today and those that are listening on the podcast or the, the website, you've been speaking something into their life. You've got something for them to do. And so, Lord God, I, I, I hope and pray that we capture what that is. We get excited about it. That we recognize and we calculate what here is and we look at what there is and we start to span the distance between the two. Lord, I ask that whoever's standing here today or listening, that they begin that step, they begin that journey. That they rally people around them to support them, to pray for them, to lift them, to love them, to encourage them, to even work with them, alongside of them. 
And I pray that when those moments of discouragement come in, that you help us refocus. May we not miss what we're supposed to do and to be. And may we be empowered by your Holy Spirit, O God. Because we can put every effort into it. And if it's not by your Spirit, it's going to fall flat. Lord God, we love you. We thank you. I trust you're speaking into folks. May we take the risk. It's in your name we pray today. Amen. Folks, may you love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And will you please love your neighbor as yourself. We love you. We will see you tonight at 5 o'clock for prayer. Have a good night.